This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Um, I want to start this morning by, uh, by going down memory lane. Okay, so I want to journey all the way back to high school algebra, which might not be that far for some of you. Some of you, that was two days ago. Um, but uh, let's, let's journey back, and so feel free to be responsive here. I want to see if you remember some of these things that you once memorized, okay? So Y equals MX plus B. Oh, well done. Very good. Okay, pat yourself on the back. Okay, how about A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Well done. Okay, now here is the tough one. Can you remember the quadratic formula? The, quadra- the high schoolers are like, yeah, of course. You know? Negative B plus or minus the square root of B squared minus 4AC over 2A. Duh. Well, I have to be honest with you that I vaguely remembered that enough to put it in this sermon illustration. I had to look it up to make sure that I got it right. But I have no memory of what that is for. I have no memory of why I learned this. I remember plugging numbers into that equation. Okay, I remember having this little program on my calculator that would kind of do it for me. I pop the numbers in. But I have no memory of why I needed to know that. You know, that is like kind of the ever-present question for high schoolers. Do I really need to learn this? Am I ever going to use this someday? And I got to say, you know, algebra is important. It's this fundamental logic, you know, to the universe. But there has not been one second since high school that I have thought about the quadratic equation. I've never needed it. It's totally unnecessary to what I do with my life. It is totally impractical. And I have zero interest in going back and relearning that. It's just not necessary. It's not, it's not something I need to know. You know, it's kind of too abstract and disconnected from my life. So here's why I'm, I'm sharing this this morning. Because this morning is Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday. The Sunday every year when we celebrate the revelation that God is one God who has eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Which doesn't mean that we believe in three gods. No, we believe in one God, so it's not as if they are, you know, kind of each separate gods from one another. It's also not as if we believe in one God who just kind of like puts on like different, you know, outfits, you know, so, so sometimes he's Father and sometimes he's Son and, and sometimes he's Holy Spirit. No, but we believe in one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who have eternally existed in relationship to one another. And when we start talking about this, sometimes our eyes begin to glaze over and we're like, oh, this sounds like algebra. This sounds like something that is maybe good for like Bible nerds and theology nerds and people who like those kind of books. Maybe it's good for them, but it's not really important for me. All I really need to know is the gospel. I just need to know the good news that God loves me and has saved me. That's it. So if that's where you are this morning, if that's kind of your understanding of the Trinity, that it feels kind of just like abstract math that you left, you know, a long time ago, then this sermon is especially for you. This sermon is especially for you. Because it's not just that we believe the Trinity is true, but we believe that the Trinity is deeply practical. 
We believe that the Trinity is, is deeply necessary to our understanding of God, even our, just our understanding of the gospel, and therefore that the Trinity is incredibly relevant for our everyday experience. And kind of the, the good news is you don't have to like just go back and relearn all of these things, but really what you can do is just reflect on your experience of God this very morning. Because just a moment's reflection on what the gospel is that God has saved us through his son, Jesus Christ, even a moment's reflection on that takes us in to the life of the Trinity. And we're gonna see that as we look at Peter's sermon in Acts chapter two. So I encourage you to get your Bible out if you have one or they're, they're in the seats right in front of you or maybe you picked up one of these neat Acts journals that has kind of the Bible passage on one side and a space for notes on the other. These are really great. We're gonna be in Acts for a long time. And so definitely pick one of these up. They're in the narthex, they're five bucks. And what a great place to, to make notes for your own uh, journaling or for these sermons. What we're gonna see is that Peter's sermon is very practical. It begins with the experience of his audience, kind of their felt needs. But then we're also gonna see that his sermon is deeply Trinitarian. The Trinity is experiential. That's my first point this morning, that Peter can't talk about what they're experiencing without referencing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's what we're gonna see. And here's something maybe you can even do as, as you know, we're, we're following along in this passage. You could look at Acts chapter two here in your Bible, and you could circle every time you see the word God, you know, here, here referring to God the Father. You know, you could circle every time Peter refers to God as kind of the source of our life and being, you know, the eternal source in the Trinity. You could put a square around every reference to Jesus, you know, who's the foundation of the gospel, you know, the chief cornerstone. And you could put a triangle around you know, every time that you see a reference to the Holy Spirit, and that will just clue your mind in to seeing how Trinitarian Peter's sermon really is. Okay, so let's begin. What's Peter doing? Why is he preaching anyways? Well, if you were with us last week, Father Stephen preached that this sermon is coming on the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost was a Jewish holiday. And so Jews from kind of all over the known world are gathering together in Jerusalem to celebrate together. And when they get there, they're hearing these 12 guys preaching. But they don't just hear them preaching, but they hear these 12 local guys preaching in the languages of all of these far off places that they've come from. And they don't know how to make sense of this experience because there's no way that these relatively uneducated guys should know all of these languages. And so that, that prompts this question in them. Look at verse 12. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? They had this incredible experience that they couldn't explain, and now they're asking, what does this mean? Maybe that's an experience that you've had. Maybe you've kind of experienced this really incredible, crazy, can't quite explain it thing and that caused you to ask some of these deeper questions. What does this mean? You know, maybe your life, you were supposed to be in an accident and you weren't. And you're like, what does this mean for my life now? Or you meet somebody who just seems different than anybody else you've ever met. Their life is characterized by this like joy and peace that is just uncommon 
Even years later, you find yourself thinking about them. What was different about them? They had something. What does this mean? That's the kind of question that prompts Peter's sermon here. It starts with their experience. So Peter stands up and he quotes in verse 17 from the prophet Joel. And he says that what the crowd is seeing and hearing and experiencing is an outpouring of God's spirit. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So on and so on. And you expect Peter to to keep going and telling them about the Holy Spirit, but he stops. He changes the subject. As if to say, I want to tell you more about this, the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you more about what you're experiencing, but I can't because I have to put it in context. Before I tell you more about the Holy Spirit, I need to tell you about Jesus. And so that's what he says in verse uh, 22 here. You know, Peter's referencing this other experience that they're having because the buzz, the news about Jesus has spread. It's common knowledge that Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, this one particular guy, it's commonly known he was a miracle worker. And he caused such a stir that he was put to death, he was crucified. And now there are these rumors, well actually a fact, there's a fact that we don't know where his body is. It's nowhere to be seen. And there are these rumors that his followers are saying that he has actually been raised from the dead, and in fact has been raised all the way up to heaven. This is what Peter is saying. He's he's referring to their experience of hearing the news of the day. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, that Jesus. You know, there's a lot of guys named Jesus. I'm talking about that one, the one you've heard about. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. He's saying, you've heard about this, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, God raised him up. So what's Peter doing here? He's taking their experience, and he's interpreting it for him, for them. He's telling them what their experience means. These, these stories that you've heard about Jesus, well, here's what's going on behind them. He says, those miracles that you, that you heard about Jesus doing, that was God empowering him to do those things. The crucifixion that should have been kind of the end of his story, that was actually done according to the plan and foreknowledge of God. That was not a mistake. It was not an accident. He says, you know, this, this fact that his body is nowhere to be seen, that's because this Jesus is the one that King David, Israel's greatest king, he is, Jesus is the one that King David spoke about when he called this person my Lord, this person who sits at the right hand of God the Father, this person whose body did not decay, who was raised up and vindicated. Peter's interpreting everything that they're hearing. But notice what else is happening. Peter can't explain their experience without reference to the Trinity. You see, they have this incredible experience, the miracle of these different languages, and he says, that's the Holy Spirit. But I can't tell you about the Holy Spirit until I tell you about Jesus. And you've heard the stories about Jesus' death and resurrection, but I can't tell you about those without referencing God the Father. 
Peter can't explain the experience that they're having without reference to the Trinity, without reference to the Father who sends Jesus according to his plans and purposes. Jesus who wins this victory for us, and then the Holy Spirit who applies that victory to our lives. And so what you see is that the Trinity isn't just kind of this, this esoteric, abstract math problem that's just kind of for you know, theology nerds or whatever, but the Trinity is actually the most basic way to explain the gospel. As theologian Fred Sanders says, the deeper you go into the mystery of the gospel, the deeper you go into the mystery of the Trinity. The gospel has a Trinitarian shape. As soon as you begin to describe it, you're talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit acting in one unified way. I mean, you think about this, like, if I were to ask, you know, like, what's a mom, what's a dad? You could answer that question in very abstract terms. You could talk about genetic biology, you could talk about mammalian reproduction. And all of those things would be true and worthwhile. But more basically, you could talk about your experience of mom and dad. Putting breakfast on the table, nurturing you, providing for you, listening to you. And it's the same way as we talk about the Trinity. Now, we can, we can journey forever into this kind of very abstract, wonderful theological concepts of how it is that God is both one and three. But we don't have to. We can actually just start with our experience, how God has revealed himself to us. And we realize the only reason that you and I know that God is Trinity in the first place is because of the gospel. We know that God is Father because we've met his Son. We know that, that God is the Holy Spirit because the Son promised to be with us forever. And because we have this experience of the Holy Spirit in, in the church. We know that God is Trinity because of how we've received his benefits, the gospel, how we've received his works on our behalf, and that's our privilege. The deeper you go into the gospel, the deeper you go into the mystery of the Trinity. And so it's for this reason, this is my second point, that the Trinity is necessary. The Trinity is necessary because without the Trinity, there's no good news. So you say, God loves me. You know, it's kind of vague and abstract, but true, God loves me. But how does he love you? And that has a very specific answer. He loves you through his son by sending his son to die for you. How does God bridge this gap between him and his perfection and his holiness and his justice and righteousness and then us in our unholiness and our brokenness and sometimes our downright evil thoughts and intentions? How does God bridge that gap in a very specific way through sending his son to make atonement for our sins? Without Jesus, without the Trinity, without the Father sending his son Jesus, there's no gospel. You can talk about the Holy Spirit. What good is it that Jesus is up there in heaven and we're down here? How does that benefit us at all that he goes away? Well, Peter talks about this. Verse 32, he says, this Jesus God raised up. And there, he doesn't just mean the resurrection, but he means this one movement of resurrection and ascension, raised Jesus up all the way to the right hand of God. 
And then verse 33, being therefore, talking about Jesus, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you are now seeing and hearing. The Father and the the Son pour out the Holy Spirit. They send the Holy Spirit to apply what Jesus won for us to our lives, to apply the victory of Jesus to our lives. And so we know that Jesus died so that we could be reconciled to God through faith. Well, how does anybody, anybody come to believe in Jesus? Only by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus became Emmanuel, God with us. But how is he with us if he's so far away? And the answer is only by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus took on human nature to redeem and heal our humanity. How do we experience that that healing in our lives now? Only by the Holy Spirit. Jesus reigns over the earth as king. How does this king get stuff done? Only by the Holy Spirit. So without Jesus, there's no gospel. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no gospel for us to experience here and now. But with the Trinity working in one unified way, there is good news. And we see all of the ways that God is for us. We see that God the Father was for us before creation even began. Before anyone took a breath, God was for you and knowing about you and calling you to himself. We see that 2,000 years ago, God was for you in Jesus Christ, dying for your sins. We see that now God is for you by the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit, applying Jesus' victory to your life. The Trinity is necessary. Without the Trinity, there's no gospel. And so we see that because the Trinity is necessary, it is also practical. Understanding the Trinity is also practical. It changes everything about the Christian life. And here are three ways. First, understanding the Trinity helps you enjoy the beauty of the gospel. You see, if if all you know is that God is one, then then you might be led into some wrong thinking. You might be led into thinking, you know, like, why did God create anything or anyone at all? Maybe it was because he was bored. Maybe he just needed something to do. He'd kind of gotten tired of existing eternally by himself. Or maybe you think it's because he's, he's lonely. He, he needed somebody to love. You know, he's loving, but, but he can't be loving without somebody to love. So he created us so that he could be loving and good and all of these things. But when you start going down that road of thinking, then it's as if God needs us for him to be God. But the Trinity won't let you think that. Because with the Trinity, you understand that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have existed eternally as one that there has never been a moment that this triune fellowship has ever lacked any intimacy, any companionship, any closeness. There's never been a moment where the Trinity was bored because for eternity, the three persons of the Trinity have been loving one another, giving glory to one another. So why do you and I exist? The only reason, the only reason is because God wanted you to exist. Because he wanted you to share in his triune life and love. 
It is an overflowing of triune love. That is what creation is all about. There is nothing you can give to God that he doesn't already have in abundance within the Trinity. You only exist so that you can receive and be brought into his fellowship. And that is the gospel. That is the beauty of the good news. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. Secondly, understanding the Trinity is practical because it helps us relate to God. It helps us see the the different ways that each of the three persons surround our lives. And you can see this right in this passage. Look at verse 38. You know, after Peter's sermon, his, his audience is convicted. They're like, okay, okay, we believe. We believe in what God the Father is doing through Jesus the Son. We believe in what we're seeing now in this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So what do we do? And Peter gives them a Trinitarian exhortation. Verse 38, he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So yes, it is true to say that God loves us, but then we can ask a very basic question, how? How does God love us? And we, we know the answer in a very personal way, that the, God loves us be, through the Father calling us, through the Son giving his life for us, through the Spirit giving us access to God even now by dwelling within us. Notice how much more personal this is than simply saying God loves us. It's true that he does, but it's your privilege to know how he loves you. It's your privilege to know what God is like. So the writer C.S. Lewis talks about this in reference to our prayer lives. He says, you know, many of us struggle to pray. And the Trinity can actually help us to pray. Because when you sit down in your room to pray, you can know at least this, that you are not alone. The very fact that you are there desiring to pray means that the Holy Spirit has already prompted you to do so. Holy Spirit is already pushing you, motivating you, exhorting you, giving you strength to follow through on this intention. And when you think, well, what do I pray? What do I talk about? What is God even like? Who is this person? Immediately, you think about Jesus, you know, the fullest revelation of who the Father is. So not only is is God giving you what you need to pray, but he's giving you the content of your prayers. He's the one giving you access to his Father. In fact, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, even now interceding on your behalf. So notice all the ways that the Trinity is for you right there in your bedroom. God is the goal that you're trying to reach in prayer, but he's also the thing inside helping you get there. He's the mediator. He's the means by which you have access to God. He's above you, within you, beside you, drawing you in to God's own life. And that kind of experience is not just for really spiritual people, but that is for people, ordinary people like you and me. And that is true in these very intentional moments when you sit down to pray, but that is also true in just these desperation moments. God, help me. And right there, you are surrounded by the triune love of God as you speak to him, as you commune with God through prayer. Finally, understanding the Trinity actually helps us tell the story of Jesus. It helps us to evangelize. 
So Peter says in verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And of course, you and I, we are not witnesses in the same way that Peter was. We didn't personally witness Jesus' resurrected body. We didn't personally witness his ascension, but we are nevertheless witnesses to the Trinity. We are witnesses to the Father's love. As we experience the Father's love through worship and prayer, as as we go outside into nature, that is an experience of the overwhelming and creative and abundant love of God. We are witnesses to the friendship and brotherhood of Jesus who died for our sins as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. We are witnesses to the power of the Holy Spirit through the testimonies of one another. You know, testimonies of healing and of life transformation and of the breaking of strongholds, of freedom from sin. We are witnesses to God, the Holy Spirit. So you, as a witness to the Trinity, you know what no other religion or philosophy could ever have known on its own. You know what has only been revealed through the good news of Jesus Christ, that God exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have this privileged knowledge. And so as you have opportunities to share the gospel, I would encourage you to be specific. Be specific like Peter is specific here. You can talk vaguely about God, but how has God been for this person that you're speaking to? And that person that you're talking to, they have a Father in heaven who loves them dearly, and that's why he created them. There is a Son in heaven who gave his life to bridge that gap that separated them from God. There is the promise of the Holy Spirit who will dwell within them to give them access to that joy and that victory and that power that can only come through Jesus' work on the cross. And remember that at the end of the day, God is not most concerned that we would simply have the right words to say about him. He's not most concerned that you would just, that you would kind of never mess it up as you're talking about the Trinity. He's not most concerned that you have the right ideas, but he is most concerned that you would know him, that you would know him, and that you would have an experience of his triune, joy-filled, eternally blessed life. And that is the opportunity that is presented to the world on the day of Pentecost. To know the triune love of God. To know that your home, your purpose, your deepest fulfillment and satisfaction is in the triune life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is the gospel. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.